About this time, my dear brother John, who is now with Christ, was licensed as a candidate for the sacred ministry, a youth whom the author of every good gift had uncommonly furnished for that important trust. To him application was made by some of the congregation, entreating that he would supply them for a time, to which, with the leave of the presbytery, he consented. But ere he went, he often told me that he was heartily sorry he had engaged to go among them, for it seemed to him that they were a people whom God hath given up for their abuse of the gospel. But the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts, for when he had preached four or five Sabbaths in the place, which was the whole time he tarried among them at first, the Lord so spoken, and stirring them up to search the scriptures, whether these things were so, and withal enabling him to preach with such uncommon freedom and earnestness, that he told me he was fully persuaded Christ Jesus had a large harvest to bring home there. So that though they were a poor broken people, yet if they called him, he would settle among them, albeit he should be put to beg his bread by so doing. April the 15th, 1730, the congregation unanimously called him, which he accepting of, was ordained the 19th of November following, and continued with them until April 23rd, 1732, and was then translated to glory. During this short time his labors were greatly blessed, so that the place of public worship was unusually crowded with people of all ranks, and they seemed to hear generally as for their lives, yea, such as were wont to go to those places for their diversion, to hear news or speak to their tradesmen, and so on, even on the Lord's day, as they themselves have since confessed were taken in the gospel net. A solemn awe of God's majesty possessed many, so that they behaved themselves as at the bar while in his house. Many tears were usually shed when he preached, and sometimes the body of the congregation was moved or affected. I can say, and let the Lord alone have the glory of it, that I have seen both minister and people wet with their tears as with a bedewing rain. It was no uncommon thing to see persons in the time of hearing sobbing as if their hearts would break, but without any public outcry, and some have been carried out to the assembly, being overcome as if they had been dead. Religion was then the general subject of discourse, though they did not all approve of the power of it. The Holy Bible was searched by people on both sides of the question, and knowledge surprisingly increased. The terror of God fell generally upon the inhabitants of this place, so that wickedness as ashamed in a great measure hid itself. Some of the jolly companions of both sexes were constrained by their consciences to meet together, the men by themselves and the women by themselves, to confess privately their abominations before God and beg pardon of them. Before my brother's death, by reason of his bodily weakness, I preached here about six months, in which time many came inquiring what they should do to be saved, and some to tell what the Lord had done for their souls. But the blessing on his labors to the conviction and conversion of souls was more discernible some months after his death than at any time in his life. Almost in every neighborhood, I cannot say in every house, there were sin-sick souls, longing for and seeking after the dear physician Jesus Christ, several of whom I nowise doubt have since that time sincerely closed with him and are healed. Glory, glory to his holy name, be given forever and ever. Amen. Sometime after my brother's decease, a congregation called me to labor among them statedly, which I accepted and was ordained October the 25th, 1733. Thus my Lord sent me to reap that on which I had bestowed but little labor. May this consideration be blessed to make me thankful and humble while I live. I must further declare to the honor of God that He has not yet left us, although awfully provoked by our crying crimes, but ever since that most remarkable outpouring of His Spirit has continued to bless His ordinances to the conviction, conversion, and consolation of precious souls, 
so that every year some more or less have been in a judgment of charity added savingly to his mystical body, to his holy name be all the glory. In the meantime, I would have it observed that two or three years last past have afforded fewer instances of this kind than formerly. Oh. However, through grace, some have been lately awakened who are even now seeking Jesus sorrowing. What the number is of those who have tasted the sweet fruits of the Redeemer's purchase in the saving manner in this congregation, I cannot tell. It is my comfort that the Lord will reckon them, for he knows who are his, and indeed none but the omniscient God is equal to the difficult provinces determining certainly concerning the internal states of men. Yet I may be bold to say that to all appearances, both old and young males and females have been renewed. Though none so young as I have heard of in some other places, some Negroes, I trust, are made free in Christ, and some seem to be unfeignedly seeking after it. But after all that the Lord has been pleased to do among us, I am persuaded that the greater number by far are yet in the gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity. This makes me sometimes ready to wish that I had in the wilderness the lodging place of a wayfaring man, that I might leave my people and go from them, or rather that my head were waters in mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for them. Such as have been converted were every one of them prepared for it by a sharp law work of conviction, and discovering to them in a heart-affecting manner their sinfulness both by nature and practice, as well as their liableness to damnation for their original actual transgressions. Neither could they see any way in themselves by which they could escape the divine vengeance, for that their whole life past was not only a continued act of rebellion against God, but their present endeavors to better it, such as prayers and so on, were so imperfect that they could not endure them, and much less they concluded with a holy God. They all confessed the justice of God and their eternal perdition, and thus have been shut up to the blessed necessity of seeking relief by faith in Christ alone. It would be endless to mention the evils they complained of, ignorance, unbelief, hardness of heart, hatred against God, His laws and people, worldliness, wanderings of heart and duty, pride, sensuality, sloth, and so on. With what grief, shame, and self-loathing have I heard them bewail their loss of time and neglect of the great gospel salvation. Those that were communicants before their awakening have with trembling declared that their unworthy partaking grieved them more than anything ever they did, for hereby they had, as it were, murdered the Lord. It is almost incredible to retell the indignation that such awakened sinners expressed against themselves on account of their sinfulness. They looked upon themselves to be mere monsters of nature, and that none were worse, if any, so bad. Others signified that they could not find their pictures out of hell, and that they were just companions for the damned and none else. Let it be here noted that some who have expressed themselves in the manner I have mentioned were before taken for believers, both by themselves and others, being sober and regular in their walk. The sorrows of the convinced were not all alike, either in degree or countenance. Some have not thought it possible for them to be saved, if God would vindicate the honor of his justice. But these thoughts continued not long at a time, blessed be God. Others thought it was possible, but not very probable, because of their vileness. The greatest degree of hope which any had under a conviction that issued well was a maybe, peradventure, or maybe God will have mercy on me, said the sinner. Some in coming to Jesus have been much rent with blasphemous and other horrible temptations, which have turned their moisture into the drought of summer, who now through pure grace serve God without such distractions and gladness and singleness of heart. The conviction of some have been instantaneous by the Holy Spirit, applying the law to the conscience, 
and discovering to the eye of the understanding, as it were, all their heart deceits very speedily, by which they have been stabbed as with a sword. But the conviction of others has been in a more progressive way. They have had discovered to them one abomination after another in life, and from thence were led to behold a fountain of all corruption in the heart, and thus they constrained to despair of life by the law, and consequently to flee to Jesus as the only door of hope, and so rest entirely on his merits for salvation. After the aforesaid sorrowful exercises, such as were reconciled to God, have been blessed with the spirit of adoption, enabling them to cry, Abba, Father. But some have had greater degrees of consolation than others, in proportion to the clearness of the evidences of their sonship. The Lord has drawn some out of the horrible pit of distress and darkness, and brought them into the light of his countenance. He has filled their hearts with joy and their mouths with praises. He has given them the full assurance of faith. Others have been brought to peace and believing, but have not had so great a plurifery of joy. Yet they go on in a religious course, trusting in the Lord. The way they have been comforted, if these are by the application of some particular promise of Scripture, or by a soul-affecting view of the way of salvation by Christ, is free without money and without price. They were enabled to behold the valuable mercies of the covenant of grace, freely tendered to the vilest transgressors that were poor in their own eyes, sin, sick, weary, and wounded, together with the ability and willingness of the Lord Jesus to relieve them from all the evils they either feared or felt. With this way of salvation their souls were well pleased, and thereupon have ventured their case into his hands, expecting help from him only, who has given them both peace and rest. He filled some of them with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I remember not of any that received their first comforts otherwise. Some few have received their confidence in God ever since, without any considerable questionings of their state, although they tasted the comforts of it. But the most by far have questioned all and doubted it was a delusion. This, I suppose, is generally owing to the remains of corruption, which blot the evidences of grace in the good man, so that they can hardly read them and particularly to the awful sin of unbelief, together with the prevalence of a legal spirit. But however distressing it is to them to feel their imperfection, it helps to persuade me that they are regenerate, else it would not be so. Sin would not be their chief burden in a general way. However, our Lord, who comforts those that are cast down, even the wonderful Counselor teaches them that He not only saves those who have been sinners before conversion, but even such as after it find a law in their members, warred against the law of their minds, which too often causes them to do the things they would not. And he enables them to reflect upon what they have and do daily experience, and compare it with the evidences of grace in the word of God. The blessed God does likewise give them renewed taste of his love, even after missteps, and thus they are established in faith and hope, so that they have a prevailing persuasion of their interest in Christ, except it be in times of desertion and temptation, with which some are more exercised than others for reasons best known to a sovereign God. Doubtless, sir, you will desire to know what effects this work produces on the minds and manners of its subjects. I answer, they are not only made to know, but hardly to approve of the great doctrines of the gospel, which they were before either ignorant of or averse to, at least some of them, so that they do harmonize sweetly in exalting free, special, and sovereign grace through the Redeemer Jesus Christ, being willing to glory only in the Lord, who has loved them and given himself for them, and offering them the sacrifice of a sweet-smelling savor. I cannot express with what satisfaction I have heard some speak of the new covenant method of salvation. They have spoken with such affection and clearness, 
as I thought was sufficient to convince an atheist that the Lord was their teacher. The alteration in some from almost gross ignorance to such clear gospel light, and in others from such corrupt principles as the Papists and Quakers hold, to the belief and acknowledgement of the truth, none but he that made the understanding could effect. They approve of the law of God after the inward man as holy, just, and good, and prize it above gold. They judge it their duty as well as privilege to wait on God in all the ordinances of his institution, although they expect to merit nothing thereby. A reverence for God's commanding authority and gratitude for his love conspired to incite and constrain them to a willing and feigned universal and unfainting obedience to his laws. Yet they declare that in everything they come sadly short of what they ought to do and bitterly bewail their defects. But blessed be God they are not discouraged in their endeavors to reach forward if by any means they may apprehend that for which they are apprehended of God. And in all things they acknowledge that they ought to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of faith whose alone it is to work all good in them and for them to whom be glory forever. They are not unmolested in their way by enemies both, both from within and from without. Yet they profess that they, their comforts, which they receive, do more than compensate all their labor, were there no good to be expected hereafter. They have not all made a like proficiency in the Christian course, neither are they all equal in religious endeavors, nor any at all times alike lively. They are sometimes obstructed in their religious progress by coldness and deadness, but this the blessed Jesus removes at times by the influence of his Holy Spirit. Then, oh, then their hearts are enlarged, and they run the sweet ways of God's commandments with alacrity and delight. They love all such as they have reason to think from their principles, experience, and practice are truly godly, though they differ from them in sentiment and lesser things, and look on them to be the excellent of the earth. They rejoice in Zion's prosperity, glorify in God on that account, and feel a sympathy in her sorrows. They do prefer one another before themselves in love, except under temptation, which they are ready to confess and be well when they are themselves generally accounting that they are the meanest of the family of God, and unworthy of the blessing, yea, the most soul of any living, all things considered. In a word, the sapless formalist has become spiritual in his conversation. The proud and haughty are made humble and affable, the wanton and vile, sober in temperament. The swearer honors that venerable name he was wont to profane, and blesses instead of cursing. The Sabbath breaker is brought to be a strict observer of holy time. The worldly now seeks treasures in the heavens. The extortioner now deals justly, and the formerly malicious forgive injuries. The prayerless are earnest and incessant in acts of devotion, and the sneak and self-seeker endeavors the advancement of God's glory and the salvation of immortal souls. Through God's mercy we have been quite free from enthusiasm. Our people have followed the holy law of God, the sure word of prophecy, and not the impulses of their own minds. There have not been, that I know of among us, any visions except such as are by faith, namely clear and affecting views of the new and living way to the Father through His dear Son, Jesus Christ, nor any revelations but what have been long since written in the sacred volume. It may not be amiss to inform you that many who have been awakened and seem for a time to set out for Zion are turned back. Yea, of those who have been esteemed converts, some have made shipwreck of faith and a good conscience. Though glory to God, there have not been many such, yet some of them who have thus awfully apostatized were highly esteemed in the church. 
By this our good and gracious God has given check to too high an esteem of our own judgment concerning the spiritual states of others, an evil which is too common among young converts, and awfully warned all that think they stand to take heed lest they fall. Many I have cause to fear have been hardened in their impieties and unreasonable prejudices against vital religion by the backsliding of some professors. Woe to the world because of offenses! But in the meantime, blessed be God. Wisdom is and will be justified of her children. This, sir, is as particular an account as I can at present give of the Lord's work in this place. If my Lord will accept it as a testimony for him, it will be a greater honor than ever I deserved. I need your prayers and earnestly desire them. O oh, beg of God that I may be faithful to the death and wise to win souls. I am with all due respects yours and the dearest Jesus, William Tennant. October 9th, 1744 Section 2 Of the remarkable revival at Northampton in 1734, which began with such things as Sabbath sanctification, religious meetings among the young people, and the preaching of justification by faith alone, the concern appears in other towns and villages of Hampshire, and in several towns in Connecticut. The next revival that followed that in Freehold was that remarkable one in Northampton in 1734 and so on, which we shall relate from the following passages of Mr. Edwards' narrative in Prince's Christian History. Just after my grandfather's death, it seemed to be a time of extraordinary dullness in religion. Licentiousness for some years greatly prevailed among the youth of the town. There were many of them very much addicted to night walking and frequenting the tavern in lewd practices, wherein some by their example exceedingly corrupted others. It was their manner very frequently to get together in conventions of both sexes for mirth and jollity, which they called frolics, and they would often spend the greater part of the night in them without regard to any order in the families they belonged to. And indeed, family government did too much fail in the town. It was become very customary with many our young people to be indecent in their carriage at meeting, which doubtless would not have prevailed to such a degree had it not been that my grandfather, through his great age, though he retained his power surprisingly to the last, was not so able to observe them. There had also long prevailed in the town a spirit of contention between two parties into which they had for many years been divided, by which was maintained a jealousy one of the other and they were prepared to oppose one another in all public affairs. But in two or three years after Mr. Stoddard's death, there began to be a sensible amendment of these evils. The young people showed more of a disposition to hearken to counsel, and by degrees left off their frolicking, and grew observably more decent in their attendance on the public worship. And there were more that manifested a religious concern than there used to be. At the latter end of the year, 1733, there appeared a very unusual flexibleness in yielding to advice in our young people. It had been too long their manner to take their morning after the Sabbath, and after our public lecture, to be especially the times of their mirth and company-keeping. But a sermon was now preached on the Sabbath before the lecture, to show the evil tendency of this practice, and to persuade to reform it. And it was urged on heads of families, that it should be a thing agreed upon among them to govern their families and keep their children at home at these times. And withal it was more privately moved that they should meet together the next day in their several neighborhoods to know each other's minds, which is accordingly done, and the motion complied with throughout the town. But parents found little or no occasion for the exercise of government in the case. 
The young people declared themselves convinced by what they heard from the pulpit and were willing of themselves to comply with the counsel that had been given. And it was immediately, and I suppose almost universally, complied with. And there was a thorough reformation of these disorders thenceforward, which has continued ever since. Presently after this, there began to appear a remarkable religious concern at a little village belonging to the congregation called Paskumak, where a few families were settled at about three miles distance from the main body of the town. At this place a number of persons seemed to be savingly wrought upon. In the April following, Anno 1734, there happened a very sudden and awful death of a young man in the bloom of his youth, who being violently seized with the pleurisy, and taken immediately very delirious, died in about two days, which, together with what was preached publicly on that occasion, much affected many young people. This was followed with another death of a young married woman, who had been considerably exercised in mind about the salvation of her soul before she was ill, and was in great distress in the beginning of her illness, but seemed to have satisfying evidences of God's saving mercy to her before her death, so that she died very full of comfort in a most earnest and moving manner, warning and counseling others. This seemed much to contribute to the solemnizing of the spirits of many young persons, and there began evidently to appear more of a religious concern on people's minds. In the fall of the year, I proposed it to the young people that they should agree among themselves to spend the evenings after lectures in social religion, and to that end divide themselves into several companies to meet in various parts of the town, which was accordingly done, and those meetings have been since continued, and the example imitated by elder people. This was followed with the death of an elderly person, which was attended by many unusual circumstances, by which many were much moved and affected. About this time, many who looked on themselves as in a Christless condition seemed to be awakened with a fear that God was about to withdraw from the land, and that we should be given up to heterodoxy and corrupt principles, and that then their opportunity for obtaining salvation would be passed, and many who were brought a little to doubt about the truth of the doctrines they had hitherto been taught seemed to have a kind of a trembling fear with their doubt, lest they should be led into bypass of their eternal undoing. And they seemed with much concern and engagedness of mind to inquire what was indeed the way in which they must come to be accepted with God. There were then some things said publicly on that occasion concerning justification by faith alone. Although great fault was found with meddling with the controversy in the pulpit by such a person and at that time, and though it was ridiculed by many elsewhere, yet it proved the word spoken in season here and was most evidently attended with a very remarkable blessing of heaven to the souls of the people in this town. They received thence a general satisfaction with respect to the main thing in question, which they had been in trembling doubts and concern about, and their minds were engaged the more earnestly to seek that they might come to be accepted of God and saved in the way of the gospel, which had been made evident to them to be the true and only way. And then it was in the latter part of December that the Spirit of God began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work amongst us. And there were very suddenly, one after another, five or six persons who were to all appearances savingly converted, and some of them wrought upon in a very remarkable manner. Particularly, I was surprised with the relation of a young woman who had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. When she came to me, I had never heard that she was become in any wise serious, but by the conversation I then had with her, it appeared to me that what she gave an account of was a glorious work of God's infinite power and sovereign grace, and that God had given her a new heart, truly broken and sanctified. I could not then doubt of it, and have seen much in my acquaintance with her since to confirm it. 
Though the work was glorious, yet it was filled with concern about the effect it might have upon others. I was ready to conclude, though too rashly, that some would be hardened by it in carelessness and looseness of life, and would take occasion from it to open their mouths in reproach of religion. But the event was the reverse to a wonderful degree. God made it, I suppose, the greatest occasion of awakening of others, of anything that ever came to pass in the town. I have had abundant opportunity to know the effect it had by my private conversation with many. The news of it seemed to be almost like a flash of lightning upon the hearts of young people all over the town and upon many others. Those persons amongst us who used to be farthest from seriousness, and that I most feared would make an ill improvement of it, seemed greatly to be awakened with it. Many went to talk with her concerning what she had met with, and what appeared in her seemed to be to the satisfaction of all that did so. Presently upon this, a great and earnest concern about the great things of religion in the eternal world became universal in all parts of the town and among persons of all ages. The noise among the dry bones waxed louder and louder. All other talk but about spiritual and eternal things was soon thrown by. All the conversation in all companies and upon all occasions was upon these things only, unless so much as was necessary for the people carrying on their secular business. Other discourse and other things of religion would scarcely be tolerated in any company. The minds of people were wonderfully taken off from the world. It was treated amongst us as a thing of very little consequence. They seemed to follow their worldly business more as a part of their duty than from any disposition they had to it. The temptation now seemed to lie on that hand to neglect worldly affairs too much and to spend too much time in the immediate exercise of religion, which thing was exceedingly misrepresented by reports that were spread in distant parts of the land, as though the people here had wholly thrown all worldly business and betook themselves entirely to reading and praying and such like religious exercises. But although people did not ordinarily neglect their worldly business, yet there then was the reverse of what commonly is. Religion was all sorts the great concern. And the world was a thing only by the by. The only thing in their view was to get the kingdom of heaven, and everyone appeared pressing into it. The engagedness of their hearts in this great concern could not be hid. It appeared in their very countenances. It then was a dreadful thing amongst us to lie out of Christ in danger every day of dropping into hell. And what persons' minds were intent upon was to escape for their lives and to fly from the wrath to come. All would eagerly lay hold of opportunities for their souls, and were wont very often to meet together in private houses for religious purposes. And such meetings when appointed were wont greatly to be thronged. There was scarcely a single person in the town, either old or young, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. Those that were wont to be the vainest and loosest, and those that had been most disposed to think and speak slightly of vital and experimental religion, were now generally subject to great awakenings. And the work of conversion was carried on in the most astonishing manner, and increased more and more. Souls did, as it were, come by flocks to Jesus Christ. From day to day, for many months together, might be seen evident instances of sinners brought out of darkness into marvelous light and delivered out of an horrible pit, and from the miry clay and set upon a rock with a new song of praise to God in their mouths. This work of God, as it was carried on, and the number of true saints multiplied, soon made a glorious alteration in the town, so that in the spring and summer following, in the year 1735, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love, nor so full of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. 
There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on the account of salvations being brought unto them. Parents rejoicing over their children as newborn, and husbands over their wives, and wives over their husbands. The going of God were then seen in a sanctuary. God's day was a delight, and His tabernacles were amiable. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service, everyone earnestly intent on the public worship, every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. The assembly in general were from time to time in tears while the word was preached. Some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with piety and concern for the souls of their neighbors. Our public praises were then greatly enlivened. God was then served in our psalmody, in some measure in the beauty of holiness. It has been observable that there has been scarce any part of divine worship wherein good men amongst us have had grace so drawn forth and their hearts so lifted up in the ways of God as in singing His praises. Our congregation excelled all that ever I knew in the external part of the duty before. But now they were evidently wont to sing with unusual elevation of heart and voice, which made the duty pleasant indeed. In all companies on other days, on whatever occasion persons met together, Christ was to be heard of and seen in the midst of them. Our young people, when they met, were wont to spend the time in talking of the excellency and dying love of Jesus Christ the gloriousness of the way of salvation, the wonderful, free, and sovereign grace of God, His glorious work in the conversion of a soul, the truth and certainty of the great things of God's Word, the sweetness of the views of His perfections, and so on. And even at weddings, which formerly were merely occasions of mirth and jollity, there was now no discourse of anything but the things of religion, and no appearance of any but spiritual mirth, those among us that had been formerly converted were greatly enlivened and renewed with fresh and extraordinary incomes of the Spirit of God, though some much more within others according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Many that before had labored under difficulties about their own state had now their doubts removed by more satisfying experience and more clear discoveries of God's love. When this work first appeared and was so extraordinarily carried on amongst us in the winter, others round about us seemed not to know what to make of it. And there were many that scoffed at and ridiculed it, and some compared what we called conversion to certain distempers. But it was very observable of many that occasionally came amongst us from abroad with disregardful hearts that what they saw here cured them of such a temper of mind. Strangers were generally surprised to find things so much beyond what they had heard and were wont to tell others that the state of the town could not be conceived of by those that had not seen it. The notice that was taken of it by the people that came to town on occasion of the court that sat here in the beginning of March was very observable, and those that came from the neighborhood to our public lectures were for the most part remarkably affected. Many that came to town on one occasion or other had their consciences smitten and awakened and went home with wounded hearts and with those impressions that never wore off until they had hopefully a saving issue. And those that before had serious thoughts had their awakenings and convictions greatly increased, and there were many instances of persons that came from abroad on visits or on business that had not long been here before to all appearance they were savingly wrought upon and partook of that shower of divine blessing that God rained down here and went home rejoicing until at length the same work began evidently to appear and prevail in several other towns in the county. In the month of March, the people in South Hadley began to be seized with deep concern about the things of religion which very soon became universal, and the work of God has been very wonderful there, not much, if anything, short of what it has been here, in proportion to the largeness of the place. 
About the same time it began to break forth in the west part of Suffolk, where it has also been very great. And it soon spread into all parts of the town, and next appeared at Sunderland, and soon overspread the town, and I believe was for a season not less remarkable than it was here. About the same time it began to appear in a part of Deerfield called Green River, and afterwards filled the town, and there has been a glorious work there. It began also to be manifest in the south part of Hatfield in a place called the Hill. And after that, the whole town in the second week of April seemed to be seized as it were at once with concern about the things of religion. And the work of God has been great there. There has been also a very general awakening at West Springfield and Long Meadow and in Infield. There was for a time no small concern amongst some that before had been very loose persons. About the same time that this appeared at Infield, Mr. Bull of Westfield informed me that there had been a great alteration there, and that more had been done in one week there than in seven years before. Something of this work likewise appeared in the first precinct in Springfield, principally in the north and south extremes of the parish. And in Hadley, Old Town, there gradually appeared so much of a work of God on souls as at another time would have been thought worthy of much notice. For a short time there was also very great general concern of the like nature at Northfield. And wherever this concern appeared, it seemed not to be in vain, but in every place God brought saving blessings with them, and His word attended with the Spirit, as we have all reason to think, return not void. It might well be said at that time in all parts of the county, Who are these that fly as a cloud and as doves to their windows? And what other towns heard of and found in this was a great means of awakening them. So our hearing of such a swift and extraordinary propagation and extent of this work did doubtless for a time serve to uphold the work amongst us. The continual news kept alive the talk of religion and did greatly quicken and rejoice the hearts of God's people and much awaken those that looked on themselves as still left behind and made them the more earnest that they also might share in the great blessing that others had obtained. This remarkable pouring out of the Spirit of God which thus extended from one end to the other of this county was not confined to it, but many places in Connecticut have partook in the same mercy, as for instance the first parish at Windsor. Under the pastoral care of Mr. Marsh was thus blessed about the same time as we in Northampton. While we had no knowledge of each other's circumstances, there has been a very great ingathering of souls to Christ in that place. And something considerable of the same work began afterwards in East Windsor, my honored father's parish, which has in times past been a place favored with mercies of this nature above most, there having been four or five seasons of the pouring out of the Spirit to the general awakening of the people there since my father's settlement amongst them. There was also the last spring and summer a wonderful work of God carrying on at Coventry under the ministry of Mr. Meekham. I had an opportunity to converse with some of the Coventry people who gave me a very remarkable account of the surprising change that appeared in the most rude and vicious persons there. The like was also very great at the same time in a part of Lebanon called the Crank, where Mr. Wheelock, a young gentleman, is lately settled. And there has been much of the same at Durham under the ministry of Mr. Chauncey, and to appearance no small in gathering of souls there, and likewise amongst many of the young people in the first precinct at Stratford, under the ministry of Mr. Gould, where the work was much promoted by the remarkable conversion of a young woman that had been a great company keeper as it was here. Something of this work appeared in several other towns in those parts, as I was informed when I was there the last fall. 
And we have since been acquainted with something very remarkable of this nature at another parish in Stratford called Ripton, under the pastoral care of Mr. Mills. And there was a considerable revival of religion last summer at New Haven, Old Town, as I was once and again informed by Mr. Noyes, the minister there, and by others. And by a letter which I have very lately received from Mr. Noyes, and also by information we have had otherwise, this flourishing of religion still continues and has lately much increased. Mr. Noyes writes that many this summer have been added to the church and particularly mentioned several young persons that belong to the principal families of the town. There has been a degree of the same work at a part of Guilford and a very considerable at Mansfield under the ministry of Mr. Eliezer Williams and an unusual religious concern at Tallinn and something of it at Hebron and Bolton. There was also no small effusion of the Spirit of God in the North Parish at Preston in the eastern part of Connecticut, which I was informed of and saw something of it when I was the last autumn at that house and in the congregation of Mr. Lord, the minister there, who with Mr. Owen of Groton came up hither in May the last year on purpose to see the work of God here and having heard various and contradictory accounts of it, were careful when they were here to inform and satisfy themselves and to that in particularly converse with many of our people, which they declared to be entirely to their satisfaction satisfaction, and that the one half had not been told them, nor could be told them. Mr. Lord told me that when he got home he informed his congregation of what he had seen, and that they were greatly affected with it, and that it proved the beginning of the same work among them, which prevailed till there was a general awakening in many instances of persons who seemed to be remarkably converted. I also have lately heard that there has been something of the same work at Woodbury. This seems to have been a very extraordinary dispensation of providence. God has in many respects gone out of and much beyond his usual and ordinary way. The work in this town and some others about us has been extraordinary on account of the universality of it, affecting all sorts, sober and vicious, high and low, rich and poor, wise and unwise. It reached the most considerable families and persons, to all appearance as much as others. In former stirrings of this nature, the bulk of the young people have been greatly affected, but old men and little children have been so now. Many of the last have, of their own accord, formed themselves into religious societies in different parts of the town. A loose, careless person could scarcely find a companion in the whole neighborhood. And if there was any one that seemed to remain senseless or unconcerned, it would be spoken of as a strange thing. This dispensation has also appeared very extraordinary in the numbers of those on whom we have reason to hope it has had a saving effect. We have about 620 communicants, which include almost all our adult persons. The church was very large before, but persons never thronged into it as they did in the late extraordinary time. Our sacraments are eight weeks asunder, and I received into our communion about an hundred before one sacrament and fourscore of them at one time, whose appearance when they presented themselves together to make an open explicit profession of Christianity was very affecting to the congregation. I took in near sixty before the next sacrament day, but it must be noted that it is not the custom here as it is in many other churches in this country, to make a credible relation of their inward experiences the ground of admission to the Lord's Supper. I am far from pretending to be able to determine how many have lately been the subjects of mercy, but if I may be allowed to declare anything that appears probable in a thing of this nature, I hope that more than 300 souls were savingly brought home to Christ in this town in the space of half a year. How many more? I cannot say. And about the same number of males as females. Those of our young people that are on other accounts more considerable are mostly, as I hope, truly pious and leading persons in ways of religion. 
Those that were formerly loose or young persons are generally to all appearance become true lovers of God and Christ and spiritual in their disposition. And I hope that by far the greater part of persons in this town above 16 years of age are such as have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so by what I heard, I suppose it is in some other places, particularly at Sunderland and South Hadley. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.